This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Five, four, three, two, one, zero, ignition. Major Garrett, yes, CBS? Yes, hi. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Major Garrett. From the nation's capital. Major, fantastic. It's The Takeout. Major. With CBS News Chief Washington Correspondent. Major, that's nonsense. Major Garrett. And you should know better. Thank you. Welcome to the very best part of my broadcast week. I'm Major Garrett, host and creator of this amazing program known as The Takeout, where everyone on CBSN, our 50 radio stations around the country, and our podcast platforms know each and every week We are two things. What are those two things? Well, one, relentlessly curious, two, steadfastly non-ideological, meaning all voices are welcome here across the political spectrum. Last couple of weeks, we had two very conservative Republican guests, Henry McMaster, the governor of South Carolina, then Tim Scott, the Republican senator from South Carolina, staunch defenders of President Trump. This week, Jamie Raskin, Democrat from Maryland, a member of the House Judiciary Committee, he would not fall into the category of staunch defender of President Trump. So again, as we do frequently on the show, you hear all perspectives. And I thank you for getting the groove of the show, understanding that you've got to get out of your comfort zone and listen to people you might disagree with, might disagree with fundamentally. I bring those voices to you to get a broader perspective on life in America when it comes to politics. Jamie Raskin. Great to have you with us. Well, I'm delighted to be with you, Major, and that's a very admirable uh, framework for your show. I appreciate that. It's not uh, the most commercially uh, viable alternative to uh, do podcasting. You could do a lot better business-wise by being a pandering podcast where you do one kind of topic over and over again, one kind of guest over and over again. But that's not how I approach journalism. That's not how I approach this show. And I thank the audience every week for riding along because it's not easy. You've got to adjust, and you've got to get, as I said, out of your comfort zone. And it takes a bit of courage, takes a bit of tenacity to do that. My viewers, my audience, my listeners do precisely that. They do the hard work. I just eat and have fun and talk to interesting people like you. So uh, we are at Busboys and Poets, a place that if you are a fan of the show, you know we go to with some regularity. Different location. We're in Tacoma Park, Washington, D.C., just on the D.C. side of the D.C.-Maryland border. Jamie Raskin represents Montgomery County just to the north. He lives in Tacoma Park, Maryland, correct? Yes, indeed. And uh, Busboys and Poets, why does that name exist? Well, Langston Hughes, a very famous American poet in the 1920s, was a busboy before he became a poet. And the owners of this restaurant love that combination. I was once a busboy. I shall never be a successful poet, but I get the vibe. So, Jamie, uh, you're on the Judiciary Committee of the House of Representatives, as I mentioned, which means what the House Intelligence Committee is doing this week and next will eventually get to your committee. So first question, have you made up your mind yet, based on the evidence seen so far, 
whether there ought or ought not to be articles of impeachment against President Trump? Well, I think we've seen overwhelming evidence of high crimes and misdemeanors. So Overwhelming we, evidence. Overwhelming evidence. Uh, I mean, we've never had a president in our history who has shaken down a foreign government for um, cooperation in his political campaign. And this president uh, withheld hundreds of millions of dollars in security assistance to a besieged foreign ally, Ukraine, which was struggling to resist Russian aggression, the occupation of the Crimea. And there were ongoing military hostilities taking place. Congress voted this money and it was held up so the president could execute his shakedown against the government to get um, President Zelensky to agree to um, essentially validate this discredited conspiracy theory from 2016. And then to alter the course of our 2020 election by unleashing a prosecution or investigation, at least, of the Bidens. So, uh, as you may have heard yesterday, I know you had a couple of hearings to attend, but you watched a good portion of the Senate, of the House Intelligence Committee yesterday. Republicans said a couple of things that I want to get you to respond to. Okay. One, in the end, the aid went through, and in the end, no investigations were launched. Therefore, they say nothing happened. All's and well that ends well. Okay, I'm asking you a question. Yeah, no, that's, that's the, basically their argument. And your and your counter argument under the uh, umbrella well, term of overwhelming evidence worthy of impeachment is well, if their argument is that um, in the final analysis the investigations were not launched uh, despite every best effort by the president and Giuliani and their henchmen, um, and the money was ultimately released, that's essentially a confession. They're they're like someone who's robbing a bank who's got two big bags of money is about to leave the bank and then the security guards pounce on the person and the, and they dust themselves off and say, oh, well, all's well that ends well. Uh, no money was taken out of this bank. Nothing was ever converted. I mean, they're basically conceding that there was a clear attempt um, to shake down a foreign government and to uh, obtain this political dirt on an opponent and so on. They're basically admitting it. And when they also cite the repeated public denials from the Ukrainian president, Zelensky, that he felt pressure, felt that he was being bribed, felt that he was being extorted, felt that he was being treated in some sort of intimidating fashion, you say what? In other words, if the coercion and the blackmailing continue and the president of a besieged foreign ally, a vulnerable, struggling democracy, doesn't know which way this thing is going to go, in America it could go towards the direction of the rule of law and constitutional democracy, or it could go towards the dictators and the despots and the corruption. Uh, and he says, uh, no, no, everything is fine. Uh, we didn't really feel any pressure at all. Um, we take that as vindication of the president? I don't think so. I mean, that, that's like the, the bank teller saying, uh, you know, if there's still armed people in the bank, no, everything's fine here, no problem. I mean, come on. You know, what do they take us for? I mean, can you imagine if Barack Obama had done anything like this? What if Obama had gone to Ukraine or Russia and said, give me political dirt on John McCain or give me political uh, dirt on some other Mitt Republican. Romney. On Mitt Romney. Give me everything you got on Mitt Romney. Create an investigation that doesn't exist now. The Republicans would be sitting in at the White House demanding impeachment. Um, so, you know, one of the critical components of this story is the absolute moral degeneration of the Republican Party. They're behaving like members of a religious cult. And when they say, as some did yesterday, President Trump is just different 
He confronts the existing bureaucracy. The existing bureaucracy doesn't like it. State Department people disagreed with this policy, which they can do. But in the end, the president sets the policy. He's rough around the edges. That's just who he is. Get used to it. Are they describing a new normal or are they complicit from your perspective in something worse? The core job of the president of the United States, according to Article 2, is to take... Of the Constitution. Of the Constitution of the United States, is to take care that the laws are faithfully executed. Now... The president has a lot of wiggle room within that to implement policies that he sees fit as long as they are within the parameters of what Congress I'm going to pour your tea for you here at Busboys and Poets because you're getting a chance to talk but not much time to get the tea. So I'm going to do that for you if you don't mind. I appreciate that, Major. And I'm I'm nursing this um, this impeachment cold here. Yes. Um, But the, the point is that, look, the president... Um, can appoint the Secretary of State or nominate the Secretary of State he wants, consistent with the advice and consent of the Senate. The President can develop the, the policies that he wants, consistent with the laws in the Constitution of the United States. He cannot create a counter-government. He cannot create a mob-style shadow um, off the book. Or sub-apparatus, which yes. clearly, again, mm-hmm. Republicans seem to admit that was the case. There was a sub-apparatus. Uh, uh, Ambassador Sondland, Gordon Sondland, a name you'll get to know, is does not have a portfolio directly involved with Ukraine. He's the EU ambassador, yet he was empowered by the president to sort of run this sub-diplomacy that involved Rudy Giuliani and a couple of Rudy Giuliani's, let us just say, Associates. Correct. So if, if you set up a kind of para-government outside of the government to undermine official governmental purposes and to violate the law and to engage in mob-style extra-legal conduct, no, that's not something that you can just chalk up to personal idiosyncrasies. Uh, that's an absolute violation of the oath of office that the president is sworn to. The founders of the Constitution put it into Article 2 that the president has got to swear to uphold and defend and preserve the Constitution of the United States. And for a reason, the framers understood there are lots of people who'd be tempted to go their own direction in their own direction to turn the government into a money-making operation to make and deals with guardrails to prevent those temptations or excesses from becoming real. Exactly. And that's what the rule of law is. So when they say, oh, well, you know, there's the official government and he can do whatever he wants under that within Article 2, which is wrong. And then not only is there the official government that he can trample however he wants, but then he can have an outside government too. That's a total attack on our constitutional system. That's what tyranny is. That's the voice of Jamie Raskin, Democrat from Maryland on the House Judiciary Committee. I'm Major Garrett. We're Busboys and Poets. Back for segment two in just a second. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a house. It's your home, the place that's filled with memories. The early days of figuring it out to the later years of still figuring it out. For the place you've put down roots, trust Amica Home Insurance. Amica, empathy is our best policy. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome back to segment two. We're busboys and poets in Tacoma Park, Washington, D.C., right on the Maryland-D.C. border. And because of that geographical orientation, we have someone very close by, Jamie Raskin, who is the Democrat in the House of Representatives representing Montgomery County largely in other parts, but just over the border. And he's on the Judiciary Committee. Uh, Congressman, how many 
depositions taken in this process have you yourself witnessed? Um, <clears throat> it's not your committee. It's not your obligation. But I'm just curious if you've had a chance to see any of them. I, I believe I was at nine of twelve. Nine of twelve. Like so that. I saw you, you took it upon yourself to be involved in this process. Um, yes, the the closed door depositions were open to intelligence committee members, uh, oversight committee members, and foreign affairs committee. And I'm on the oversight committee as, as well, well as, as the, the judiciary, judiciary committee, committee right. and the rules committee. So, uh, and I'm a local member, and so there were a number of hearings where um, most members were back home. Mm -hmm. And back home for me is right here. Right. And so, uh, so I, it, it, there were some where it was basically you know, Chairman Schiff and me and maybe one or two other members who were in town. Understood. For those who may have just watched the beginning of yesterday's first day of hearing, and just so everyone understands what this process is, as articulated by the House Intelligence Committee Chairman Adam Schiff is, these depositions have been taken. There's now a public opportunity for the witnesses to appear, the public to evaluate their credibility, and for them to be questioned and answered in public. Kind of a second round, because in these private, closed-door depositions, much of this work has already been done, but now it's being done on a public stage. Eventually, when the House Ju Intelligence Committee is done with this process, it will send a report to the House Judiciary Committee, which may call more witnesses and have more hearings, and then decide whether or not to write up articles of impeachment, which then would be transmitted to the House floor for a full vote. That's essentially the process for the next five to six weeks in general. In the opening statement from the ranking Republican, Devin Nunes, he described what these depositions taken in private have been as a star chamber. And he alleged that the witnesses involved were auditioning to appear in a made-for-television drama. I want you to address those two accusations, star chamber, auditioning for a made-for-television drama. Okay. <clears throat> the star chamber thing is totally phony. Um, I was there in those hearings, so I can tell you um, from personal experience, the Republicans got every minute to ask questions by their professional staff attorney that the Democrats got. And it was pretty much the way it's proceeding right now, 45 minutes for Mr. Goldman and 45 minutes for the Republican staff counsel. Uh, and if more time was needed, they would add another 45 minutes on each side. Then it would be open to... Everyone got their swings, in other words. Yeah. Then it would be open to all of the Republican members and all the Democratic members to ask their own questions. That's why Again, this process, in some cases, for some witnesses, went 10, 12, 11 uh, hours. Yeah. Some of them were even, I think, maybe more than 12 hours. I mean, it you know, went a very long time. But anybody could ask whatever they wanted. When the Republicans had their totally shameful, humiliating fake civil disobedience day where they barged into the room and violated the security protocols of the SCIF. Um, a number of members uh, who were set to question witnesses had to leave the room, go out to their um, self-pitying press conference, come back in, barge in, and commit civil disobedience against their own hearing. I mean, it was absurd. I think there were something like 46 Republican members who had a right to be there to pose questions. So look, all of that was uh, a desperate attempt to distract attention from what we were learning, which was you know, the president's shakedown in Ukraine. And one of the things we love to do on the show, Congressman, is when uh, 
acronyms or Washingtonian phrases get dropped, I try to pause and help people understand what they actually mean. You said skiff. Yeah, the reason I didn't spell that out is because I don't know what it stands for. It's right. something like secure compartmentalized facility. Facility. Yes. <laughs> okay, there we go. It, but what is it? Regardless of what the acronym it's means, just, what is it? It's a room where you're not allowed to take your cell phone in there. Right. You can't bring any technology in because it's where we do secure and classified, classified briefings. briefings and information is reviewed. Yeah. And therefore, it's secure and there is a protocol historically respected about that security and the vulnerability therein. Right. So when the Freedom Caucus riders came in uh, posing as uh, civil disobedience, a lot of them had their phones so they could beam it out to the Fox News public. Um, and they thereby violated all of the security protocols that we have there. Ashley, the wa- our wonderful waiter- waitress is here. Hello, Ashley, Ashley, good morning. How are you? Good. How are you? Jamie, what do you want? Um, well, you better go first. Oh, I'll go first. So I'm going right. to be kind of annoying and be on the sides part of the menu. So no, side no of fruit, problem. side of the uh, cranberry sausage, and home fries. All right. Perfect. Thank you. And what I would like, please, is oatmeal. So we have taken away our oatmeal. Oh, really? No oatmeal. I was, I was looking. That's <laughs> it why I couldn't revamped. find it. Uh-huh. <laughs> ah, there's They've no taken oatmeal. away the oatmeal. It's a minor league scandal. It was just boys and poets. Yeah. Chicken sausage is new, though. So. Chicken sausage is good. <laughs> I'm a ben- I'm, I'm beneficiary of that. All right, then I would like vegan sausage. Okay. And then um, home fries. Well, Excellent. All? That's all I should all think. Right. Could I so have more tea, too, please? Yeah. Oh, hot water. Thank you. And a brief digression, since you mentioned uh, vegan sausage, uh, you are a survivor of colon cancer and thereafter changed your approach to diet. Totally, yeah. I'm um, a very strong vegetarian. I've tried to be uh, a good vegan too, but I do cheat sometimes and have some goat cheese. And my son, who's a, uh, a very um, absolute vegan, um, he gets in your face a castigates me for that. So. But the colon cancer was a turning point. Well, yeah. Um, in a lot of ways, I assume. I, I, I think it was. I was a state senator back then, and I was teaching at AU Law School, and uh, you know, I did it all. I had chemo, I had radiation, I did surgery two times, um, and I was a 50-50 person. I had stage three colon cancer, and um, uh, but I emerged from it, and you know, we could do another do another breakfast about it sometime, but. Uh, you know, it gave me very strong feelings about our healthcare system mm-hmm. and about, you know, the need for everybody to be incorporated in it because it's such a difficulty and such an agony going through something like that to compound people's problems with financial anxiety and worry about how it's going to be. And bureaucratic obstacles and other things. Yeah, all of that stuff. So, um, but it, it also made me realize, you know, I had not been to the doctor in a long time. I was like, I think a lot of men kind of macho about healthcare and uh, nutrition and stuff like that. And I've completely transformed my bad ways. Fascinating. And as uh, much as I can. Congratulations so, on well, being on the you. other side of that. I appreciate it. Uh, Harvard College, Harvard Law. So you are uh, a lawyer by education. Correct. And training. Uh, does that give you an advantage in this scenario or does it not? Well, I think I don't fall for a lot of the nonsense that the Republicans are putting out. For example, uh, one of the things they said this week was that um, that I think, you know, well, they were saying the president's due process rights are being violated, which is absurd. Why? Um, The way that the Constitution designs impeachment is the House of Representatives acts like a grand jury and a prosecutor. And in a grand jury process or in a prosecutor's indictment process, um, 
the defendant has no right to be represented. The defendants can't bring their lawyers into a grand jury process uh, and start arguing the case. That comes later. That's the trial If you're portion. charged, right. Yeah, and if you're charged... Then there's an adversarial process. And then that's when the full panoply of constitutional rights kicks in. In this process, the trial takes place in the Senate. The House of Representatives passes articles of impeachment, which are like an indictment, a, a litany of charges. It goes to the Senate, and that's where the Senate conducts a trial. And the Senate, adopting its own rules, will decide exactly um, you know, how the president gets to defend himself. And the presidents have always been able to uh, introduce their evidence, make an opening statement, make a closing statement. All of that stuff will happen there. So they just deliberately clouded the issue when they started saying, this is a star chamber, um, you know, the president's not being represented and so on. It's just a, it's a silly diversion from the reality of it. They didn't give Bill Clinton uh, the right to be heard by uh, in Ken Starr's investigation behind the independent counsel, so. right? The independent counsel, um, and here uh, there was no independent counsel or special counsel because Attorney General William Barr decided there was nothing to see here. Looked at no the, federal laws were implicated. Right. Yeah, he said there there were no potential federal crimes. He should have recused himself because he's all over the record of what took place there. But uh, we expect nothing from William Barr anymore. He's just the president's consigliere. That's the voice of Jamie Raskin, Democrat from Maryland. We're at Busboys and Poets. I'm Major Garrett. Segment two, of the, segment three, rather, of The Takeout coming up. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Ambassador Sondland told President Trump the Ukrainians were ready to move forward. Following the call with President Trump, the member of my staff asked Ambassador Sondland what President Trump thought about Ukraine. Ambassador Sondland responded that President Trump cares more about the investigations of Biden, which Giuliani was pressing for. I'm Major Garrett. Welcome back to The Takeout. We're at Busboys and Poets. That was the voice of William Taylor, the charge d'affaires of an Ukraine brought back into public service, as he testified, by the current Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo. Jamie Raskin is our guest, member of the Oversight and Judiciary Committee, uh, and as a result, a participant currently and in the future in this ongoing impeachment process. Republicans said, Congressman, that there's, in that testimony, which was new and a bit eye-popping yesterday, that's just hearsay and therefore invalid. Uh, respond to that our level of our or that our argumentation okay we're not in a federal court so whatever the laws of hearsay are do not apply we're not using the federal rules of evidence in other words the constitutional investigation actually allows us to use our common sense so here you have uh, a distinguished public servant who's devoted his life to uh, the United States of America and our West Point policy. grad a West Point grad. Vietnam combat veteran. Um, all of it. Um, and he reports what he heard and what he told. Now, you can try to question it. You can try to undermine it in some way. We're all invited to use our common sense here. And the relevant uh, parties will be brought in. Uh, this staffer is going to be interviewed and yes. Gordon Sondland is going to appear in public. And they will undoubtedly attack those people, too. I mean, the most comical thing to me about this whole process is when the whistleblower first came out and spelled out everything that he had learned from other people, the president and his defenders were out there yelling, this is all hearsay, this is all hearsay. Well, yeah, it was all hearsay. That's how whistleblowers work. 
the whistleblower process is all based on, I think I heard this, I think I heard that. Um, and so now that we have actual direct eyewitnesses to all of the action, we have people who can confirm what happened in terms of the withholding of the money, the shakedown of the Ukrainians, the telephone call, the contemporaneous, uh, not transcript, unfortunately, but memorandum coming from the White House about the call. Now the president goes out and uh, leads this search party. Where's the whistleblower? Where's the whistleblower? That's like you've got a six alarm fire and all the fire trucks are putting the fire out and people are you know, combating the fire for eight hours and you've got victims and so on. And then it's over. And then the arsonist is brought up on charges and he says, who knows if there was really a fire? Let's get the person who originally called the fire department. You know, it's ridiculous. To that point, I want to play soundbite number three, Ellie. This is Jim Jordan, a Republican added to the Intelligence Committee by the Republican leadership because he is more, uh, it was regarded and said at the time, combative and effective, therefore, quote unquote. Uh, Ellie, number three. Do you anticipate when we might vote on the ability to have the whistleblower in front of us, something you the 435 members of Congress, you are the only member who knows who that individual is, and your staff is the only staff of any member of Congress who's had a chance to talk with that individual. We would like that opportunity. When might that happen in this proceeding today? First, as the gentleman knows, that's a false statement. I do not know the identity of the whistleblower, and I'm determined to make sure that identity is protected. That second voice you heard is Adam Schiff, the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee. So this is a fascination, as you said, for Republicans, for the president, who the whistleblower is. Do you know who it is? I, I do not know who it is. I understand that there are right-wing outlets that are printing someone's name, but I'm not interested in reading it. Yeah. And for those who hear Republicans say the president has a right to challenge his accuser and they identify the whistleblower as the central accuser, you would say what? Uh, first of all, you have a right to challenge your accuser in court. In trial. Uh, in a trial. The president, by the way, is not facing a single day in jail based on impeachment. The framers of the Constitution designed impeachment to be a cleansing of the office, a removal of someone who is a threat to the character of our constitutional democracy. But he doesn't go to prison for a single day. Now, if he gets prosecuted later, he will have every right to confront his accuser in court. In any event, the whistleblower is not his accuser. The whistleblower is the person who alerted the inspector general of the intelligence community about what was taking place in terms of the president's betrayal of the rule of law. All of these other people who are coming forward to talk about specific evidence and what they witnessed, arguably the president could have the chance to confront them, but he's going to have a chance to do that when the trial takes place in the Senate. I want to play for you a soundbite from President Trump, who yesterday in the aftermath of that new testimony from William Taylor was asked about this description of a phone call with his EU ambassador, Gordon Sondland, in which, according to William Taylor's testimony, he said he was more interested in investigations about Biden than Ukraine itself. Ellie, that's number one. I know nothing about that. First time I've heard it. The one thing I've seen that Sondland said was that uh, he did speak to me for a brief moment, and I said, no quid pro quo under any circumstances, and that's true. The other, I've never heard this. Your response. First of all, it was not a quid pro quo. It was a shakedown. It was extortion. Quid pro quo implies something voluntary. Um, so, uh, you know, but even if he was saying this is not a shakedown, that's like a bank robber who's running out of the bank holding the bag's money saying this is not a bank robbery. I mean, he can say whatever he wants, but the reality of the situation is clear to any reasonable observer. It was an attempt to wrest from 
the Ukrainian president, Zelensky, a commitment to validate the discredited conspiracy theory about 16, that it was the Ukrainians and not the Russians who had interfered in an election, and then to get them involved in our 2020 campaign. Did that sound like a forceful denial to you? I know nothing about that first time I've heard of it. No, it sounds like Donald Trump. Meaning? Um, <clears throat> he makes it up as he goes along, but everything is a distraction and a diversion from the truth. I mean, this is a president who's told literally thousands of lies. We impeached Bill Clinton for telling one lie. Under about, oath. Uh, under oath about a private act of sex. Um, impeachment was designed for treason, bribery, and other high crimes and misdemeanors. They had no problem impeaching Bill Clinton for low crimes and misdemeanors, but it was not an, it was not an attack on the character of our democracy. It was not affairs of state. It was affairs of the heart. And uh, so since you brought that up uh, from my audience's perspective, is it your opinion that that was a misapplication of the impeachment powers of Congress in the Bill Clinton case? I think it was a, it was a pretty extreme extension of congressional power. I wasn't in Congress then, and, you know, so I, I, I'm not privy to everything that took place. But the basic character of the fence lying about an affair um, is not what the framers of the Constitution had in mind. Treason is about betraying the country to foreign enemies. Bribery is about betraying the public interest by elevating your personal interest, putting money in your pocket. And other high, high crimes and misdemeanors must mean the same character of offense, which is a betrayal of the basic oath of office. The founders wanted our presidents to have an undivided loyalty to the American people, not to Russian oligarchs and not to Saudi murderers and so on. But this is a president who has been selling his office out from day one. There have been uh, multiple and continuing violations of the Foreign Emoluments Clause and the Domestic Emoluments Clause. And that's the original sin of this administration. He's converted the presidency into a money-making operation and then into essentially a re-election campaign. So the things you just described, do you expect any or all of them to be included in articles of impeachment or do you expect <clears throat> articles of impeachment to be entirely about the Ukraine situation? No, I hope... Uh, and I'm convinced that we need to tell a comprehensive story about how the president has converted a public office into an instrument of private self-enrichment and political advancement. It's the only thing that tells a complete story and that makes sense In other to words, the you anticipate multiple articles of impeachment outside, uh, multiple firsts, second question, and some of them outside of the realm of the Ukraine controversy. Um, again, nothing has been written yet, and... You know, this will be the work of the next month or two. Um, but, uh, you know, if I could write them myself, what I would say is this is a president who has converted the office into an instrument of his own self-enrichment, which totally violates the emoluments clauses. One says that none of us can take a present and emolument, which means a payment, an office or a title from a prince, a king, a foreign state of any kind, whatever. The domestic emoluments clause says the president is limited to a salary and office which can't be increased or decreased and may receive no other emolument or payment from the federal government. Every time that they go down to Mar-a-Lago and they spend another seventy-five or $100,000, 
there for the Secret Service to stay and the Executive Office of the President and the Department of Defense, Department of State. They're violating the Domestic Emoluments Clause. He's spent more than one-third of his days at Trump properties. He's collected millions of dollars from the, from the U.S. government outside of the Domestic Emoluments Clause, and he's collected millions of dollars from foreign governments outside of the Foreign Emoluments Clause. I mean, this is a principle that is so strictly observed in American history that Abraham Lincoln, in the middle of the Civil War, got these beautiful elephant tusks from the King of Siam, and he loved them, and he wanted to keep them, and he honored the Constitution. He sent a letter to Congress saying, can I keep these elephant tusks? And he got a letter back saying, Mr. President, you're doing a great job in the Civil War, but no, you can't keep the tusks. You've got to turn it over to the Department of State. And president after president scrupulously observes it. This is the only president who has decided to stay in business while president. He's got more than 500 businesses going. He said he would not divest himself. He would not put it in a blind trust. And he was going to maintain ownership and management, but day-to-day management he delegated to his kids, okay? Um, and so he, he's been prostituting the office from the very beginning, and it, it segued naturally into saying, I'm going to use not just the presidency, but the whole government of the United States and our foreign policy to advance my own re-election. And that's, that's the voice did. of Jamie Raskin, our guest on, he, on the takeout of Busboys and Poets. I'm Major Garrett, back for segment four in just a second. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. You testified in your prior testimony that you have not had any contact with the President of the United States. Is that correct? That's correct, sir. Ms. Taylor, Mr. Kent, have you had any contact with the President of the United States? I have not. So, not only no conversations with the President of the United States about Ukraine, you've not had any contact with the President of the United States, correct? That's correct. Okay. So, you both know that this impeachment inquiry is about the President of the United States, don't you? That's the voice of Mike Turner, a Republican, also on the House Intelligence Committee. Our guest, Jamie Raskin, not on the Intelligence Committee, but on the Judiciary and Oversight Committees, and been a participant in some of the depositions, will be a active participant in the future of this impeachment inquiry. I'm Major Garrett. This is The Takeout. We're at Busboys and Poets, diving through our breakfast. It's very good. So that line of questioning, uh, a reasonable person might say, well, gosh, you don't know the president? You haven't talked to him? Is that evidence suitable, useful, worthwhile in this context? That, that may have been the most sh- shameless deception of them all for two reasons. One is that uh, the president and his abject defenders have done everything in their power over the last several months, but especially over the last several weeks, to prevent the witnesses from coming forward who would have heard directly from the president. That is, they've tried to blockade all of the White House staff from coming forward to testify. So uh, they claim this absolute immunity cloak, which is totally invented. Who knows where that doctrine came from? And something they also call testimonial immunity. Yeah, which is, I mean, that's a joke. Um, The president can't testify against himself, but courts have not said whether anybody else 
can be barred completely from having to testify about what they know. Well, the president can't be forced to testify against himself because nobody can be under the Fifth Amendment, but he would have to assert that he would be incriminating himself, as undoubtedly he would be. Um, otherwise, he's got to testify, too. Everybody owes the sovereign his or her honest, truthful testimony. Um, and, you know, there are people who go to jail because they violate subpoenas to testify uh, to the courts or to Congress. Um, but in any event, it, it's just it's shameless and it's shameful that they would do whatever they can to stop the witnesses with the most intimate knowledge of what the president did from testifying and then turn around and say, see, um, you know, Ambassador Taylor doesn't know the president. But but here's the other problem with it. Um, you don't have to know the bank robber personally or intimately in order to know what the bank robber did. If you see the bank robber robbing the bank, these are people who witnessed the public events that constitute the high crime and the misdemeanor. So again, that's an irrelevant distraction from the matter at hand. You referenced a moment ago witnesses that are not being allowed to testify because the White House is trying to block their appearance. One person who might be an interesting witness through his attorney has suggested he has lots of things to say and might be willing to say them under the right circumstances. His name would be John Bolton, the former National Security Advisor. How eager are you to see John Bolton appear? What do you think he might be able to tell you? I mean, I'm eager to see everybody appear who was involved in this. Um, <clears throat> Bolton is someone who, uh, according to Fiona Hill, according to several other witnesses, was upset about um, the the shadow corrupt government which Donald Trump unleashed uh, against the Ukrainian president. Um, he had an interesting metaphor to describe it. He, well, he said, apparently, there were a number of very vivid quotes that were related to us. One is his saying, um, you know, tell, tell the uh, counsel for the NSC I'm not involved in their drug deal. Um, and he also described, apparently, uh, Rudy Giuliani as a hand grenade who's going to blow everybody up. And so far, he's been proven right about that. Um, but um, so I'm very curious to know what Bolton has to say. He clearly uh, wants to talk. Uh, what do you know about the efforts to make that happen? Um, well, all I know is that when he was originally approached, he said that uh, he would not do it without a subpoena. And then he would go to court the way some other witnesses have gone to court to have them adjudicate the conflict between the congressional demand for testimony and the president saying, no, again, we don't think there's any conflict there at all. We have a complete power to get whatever evidence we want. The Supreme Court has said it repeatedly. What does it mean for us to have a power to impeach if we don't have a power to call witnesses relevant to the matters uh, upon which the president would be impeached? Uh, so the impeachment power implies an investigative power and a subpoena power to get the evidence we want. Should that investigative process await the federal court rulings? The uh, chairman of the Intelligence Committee, Adam Schiff, has suggested it's not going to wait, that um, there's a clock on this, and um, if some witnesses can't appear, so be it. Uh, he's not going to wait for the federal courts to decide every one of these conflicts. And he's right. I mean, we have an independent constitutional power as the lawmaking branch of government. There's a reason that we're in Article One. 
You know, the preamble of the Constitution says, we the people, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and preserve to ourselves and our posterity the blessings of liberty, do hereby ordain and establish the Constitution of the United States. The very next sentence is Article 1, saying all legislative powers are vested in a Congress of the United States, the United States Senate, and the House of Representatives. The sovereign power of the people to govern flows immediately into Congress. And then you get an elucidation of all the powers of Congress to regulate commerce domestically, internationally, to declare war, to spend money through appropriations, and so on. Then you get to Article Two, the president. Four short sections. The fourth section is all about impeachment, how the president can be impeached for high crimes and misdemeanors. The first section is basically about how the president gets elected and the oath of office. And then in between, you've got the commander-in-chief clause, the president's commander-in-chief during times of actual conflict, insurrection, and war. And then the other part is the main part. What's the president's job? Take care that the laws are faithfully executed. You see that? So the president has to... That's the language of agency law. The president's job is to be the agent of the popular will as expressed through Congress to go out and enforce the laws. And to the extent that the president's not going to enforce the laws, but he's going to violate the laws, trample the laws, flout the laws, and spend time committing high crimes and misdemeanors and taking things from the office, he, we can get rid of him. And George Mason said, nothing is more important in this Constitution than continuing the right of the people to impeach the president. They did not want a king here. We have no kings and queens and monarchs under our Constitution. To that point, some Republicans have said, and I would like to get your appraisal of this, you have no right to overturn an election. You are trying to overturn the collected will of the American public expressed in its election in 2016. Well, first of all, they have no problem impeaching Bill Clinton for telling a lie about sex. But let's leave the hypocrisy aside. Um, That point ignores the constitutional design. The reason we have impeachment in there for extraordinary occasions is that the, the framers foresaw that there might be a president who choose, chooses to behave like a king, to trample the rule of law and to threaten the whole constitutional structure and threaten the basic rights of the people. That's where we are right now with Donald Trump. So the impeachment, uh, the word impeachment or impeach appears eight times in the Constitution and for an important reason. It's the people's last line of constitutional self-defense against a president who confuses himself with a king. And there are those who argue you're kind of going through the motions here. The House may impeach. The Senate will not convict. In the end, nothing will change. Your response. Response number one, we have taken an oath of office to uphold and preserve and defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And we have to swear to both, number one. Uh, Number two, we don't know what the Senate will do. I am not going to um, change my conformance to the Constitution based on the supposition that they're not going to do their job. Remember, the Republicans in the House of Representatives come from overwhelmingly gerrymandered red districts. Um, So they're always looking over their right shoulder to see whether they're going to have a primary challenge. Some in your party look over their left shoulder in gerrymandered districts. This may be the case, but it's irrelevant to what we're talking about here. The um, 
But the Senate is different. The Senate Republicans come from states which are much broader jurisdictions of land, like Maine or Colorado, Susan Collins, Cory Gardner, where they've got to think about millions of independents and Democrats. And increasingly, independents and Democrats are rallying around the impeachment inquiry. Even Fox News showed a majority and a big majority of Democrats and independents favoring not just the inquiry, but impeachment and removal. They've got to think about those people. The other thing to remember is there's no real love lost between the Senate Republicans and Donald Trump. This is a guy who called Senator Rubio little Marco for a year. He said Ted Cruz's father assassinated John F. Kennedy. He called people's wives fat and ugly and so on. The minute his numbers start dipping below 40%, I think all of those memories are going to be come flooding back to them about what this president has done to insult them personally and really to tarnish the legacy of their party. Abraham Lincoln was the first Republican president. Donald Trump might be the last Republican president. That's the voice of Jamie Raskin, our special guest here at Busboys and Poets in Tacoma Park. It's been a pleasure, Jamie. I appreciate the time. Thanks for your perspective. And thank you for having me, Major. We'll see you next week. For more from this week's conversation, download the Takeout Outtake Especial Tuesday morning, wherever you get your podcasts. The Takeout is produced by Arden Farin, Katiana Krachenko, Jamie Benson, and Sarah Cook. CBSN production by Alex Zuckerman, Eric Susanen, and Grace Seegers. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Takeout Podcast. That's at Takeout Podcast. And for more, visit TakeoutPodcast.com. The Takeout is a production of CBS News Radio. If you like The Takeout, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. The Hargan women seem to have it all. From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom was amazing. But as detectives would soon learn, there was a lot going on inside the Hargan household. Ashley and I have been calling my mom and the house and Helen. No one's answering. 63-year-old Pamela Hargan gunned down in her own home. Her youngest daughter, Helen, lay dead upstairs. Patrol, when they arrived, assumed or thought that there might have been a murder-suicide. But for the detectives on the scene... There were things about the scene itself that were concerning to us on day one. Who would want to kill their mother and their little sister? There is no boogeyman here. It is exactly who we think it is. I'm Peter Vance Sat from 48 Hours. This is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, early and ad-free on Wondery Plus. It was the biggest scandal in pop music. The stars of Milli Vanilli, the Grammy-winning multi-platinum R&B phenomenon, were exposed as frauds. But none of this was their idea. So whose idea was it? Enter German music producer Frank Varian. He saw the success of acts like Michael Jackson and Prince, and he wanted in, no matter the cost. So he devised the perfect pop heist. Two once-in-a-lifetime talents who were charismatic, full of sex appeal, and phenomenal dancers. The only problem? They couldn't sing. But Frank knew just how to fix that. Wondery's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's greatest controversies and takes a never-before-heard look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when the truth came out, Rob and Fab were the only ones who got burned. 
Looking back now, it's hard not to wonder, why did everyone blame them and not the man pulling the strings? Follow Blame It on the Fame, Millie Vanilli, on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.